there's an idea that good deeds and good works bring good results. Good deeds pay off. They pay off. And, and there are rewards for doing the right thing. And generally speaking, for the most part, this is accurate. And because of this, we, we assume that the same would apply to the life of the Christ follower. However, <laughs> however, as we are reading and seeing the origins of the, of the church in the book of Acts, as we look at, at, at Acts chapters 6 and 7 today, we're going to begin to have a better understanding of the rewards of service for all of those who would follow Jesus to, to set aside their lives, to pick up their crosses and follow Him. Acts chapter 6 begins, the disciples, they're increasing in number. We've been reading for the last several months and, and, and God is growing his church and there's signs and wonders and there's there's miracles and there's mighty things happening and things are on the rise but as is often the case when good things are happening there starts to be some some grumbling and some complaining and and a complaint develops on the part of a group called the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek Jews, against the Hebrews. They're in Israel. They're in Jerusalem. And, and it's a complaint regarding uh, widows being overlooked in the daily service of food. The Greek Jews feel like their widows are being slighted. In, in, in those days, there, there was no social security. There, there was no retirement accounts as we know it. And parents depended on children. They depended on their heirs. And the term widow not only implies the absence of a, of a spouse, but the absence of an heir. And we've already seen how the early church jumps to assistance for those in need. We've seen that. I mean, that's one of the hallmarks of the early church. They're, they're all in. As, as folks are able to give, they, they give and they and they're able to provide for those who have need. So it's something that, that we've seen. And these complaints, they might possibly imply that, that newer converts might be falling through the cracks, so to speak. There's, things are going and growing in such a hurry that, that not every, the right hand and the left hand, maybe, maybe there's not communication. So the twelve apostles... They summon the congregation of disciples and they say it's, it's not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. The, the twelve apostles, they need to administer, they need to administer the, the sustenance, but they need to administrate for this very real need of sustenance. And so this is what they do. They, they say, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of, of good reputation full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. We're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word, but we need some help. Folks with good reputation, they're full of the Spirit, they're full of godly wisdom, 
that, that we need them to administrate this. There's a calling to prayer and a calling to the ministry of the Word. There's a responsibility for preaching and teaching. It's a responsibility. It's, it's, a, it's a calling from God. The apostles had it. Prophets had it prior to them, all the way down to preachers like me. In ministry, it's a balancing act because we, there's lots of needs. And, and this is how the apostles, those who saw and witnessed Jesus and his ministry firsthand, this is how the apostles addressed this priority and this need. They delegate. They, they delegate. And look there at verse 5. The announcement found approval with the whole congregation. <laughs> and that right there, that's huge. That really says all there needs to be said for, for everyone to agree. When, when does that happen? <laughs> the whole congregation. So they choose six men. And the first one, one of whom is named Stephen, and he's, as you read here, he's a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. They bring these six men before the twelve apostles, and after praying, they lay their hands on them. The apostles place their hands on these six who were chosen and called to serve. They're called out of the body to serve the body, and, and they no doubt they prayed for them, and, and they send them out. So we've seen the apostles, we've seen these disciples, and now we see deacons. The beginning of, of, of the deacons. And so the word of God keeps spreading. And, and the number of the disciples, it can, they, they continue to increase. It increases greatly there in Jerusalem and it, to the point where a great many of these Jewish priests, they start becoming obedient to the Christian faith. They go over to the other side. They're seeing that Jesus is the one who fulfills all of these Old Testament prophecies. They are out of the work of the Holy Spirit and through the words of these apostles and the disciples, these priests are seeing that Jesus is Messiah. Stephen, full of grace and power, is performing great wonders and signs among the people. And this is the same Stephen we just, we just read of. Stephen, he's a man full of faith. He's a man full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of grace, full of power, Look what happens. Look what happens there. Some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen. They're enemies of Jesus and the cross. They rise up and they argue with Stephen. But they are unable to cope with wisdom that's given to Stephen by, by the Holy Spirit. Everything that Stephen is sharing, they, they can't cope with it. So this is what they do. They secretly induce men to, to say, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They tell a lie. They falsely accuse Stephen. And so they stir up the people. They stir up the elders and the scribes, and they come to Stephen, and they drag him away, and they bring him before the council. And this is the same council who ordered the apostles flogged back in chapter 5. Same council. And they put forward these false witnesses and they say, this man, Stephen, does not stop speaking against this holy place and the law. 
For we've heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses, Moses himself handed down to us. And the council stares at Stephen. And they see his face, which is like the face of an angel. Like the face of an angel. Do you remember how Moses' face shined after he had been in the presence of the Lord? Acts chapter 7 begins this way. The high priest says to Stephen, Are these things so? <laughs> you know, when one is called to serve in some aspect of the ministry of the local church, one doesn't really plan to be put on trial. People in the church, I, I believe, love to serve. You love to serve. And we love for you to serve. The, we encourage, we, we appreciate the, the volunteerism and the spirit of, of co-ownership. It's not just my church, it's, it's your church. We never tell folks, okay, be prepared to be arrested and to be put on trial. <laughs> And Stephen, the first deacon, the very first deacon, Stephen, the one called to serve needs there, to meet physical needs in the body of Christ, is put on the witness stand. And he is accused of, of, of speaking against the temple, against the law, and, and against all that Moses commanded. Those three things. And what follows, the, the whole of chapter 7 is a 50-verse defense by Stephen, the man full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, full of power. And Stephen addresses each one of these accusations. And he begins in this fashion. I'm going to give summary. Stephen says, listen to me, brothers and fathers. See, he's one of them. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham and said, Go from your country and from your relatives and come to the land which I will show you. Stephen begins with Father Abraham because Stephen is of Jewish heritage. He, he's a Jew like his accusers, and he reminds his audience, the council, of God's covenant with Abraham. God promised that, that he would give the land to Abraham and his descendants, and Abraham fathers Isaac, and Isaac fathers Jacob, and Jacob fathers Joseph. And Joseph is sold into Egypt, yet Stephen reminds the council God was with Joseph. God was faithful to Joseph. God rescued Joseph from all his afflictions. We see in verse 10, granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, and, and Joseph was made governor over Egypt. God used Joseph to yield provision to the nation of Israel during a great famine. The Hebrew people were rescued. They, were, they increased and they multiplied in Egypt until another king arose over Egypt. One, Stephen says in verse 19, one who took advantage of the nation of Israel and mistreated our fathers and their children, murdering our children. Stephen drops another name, Moses. <laughs> Stephen tells the story of the calling of Moses in the wilderness by the voice of the Lord. And, and the Lord sends Moses to rescue Israel from Egypt. 
Stephen says, this Moses whom the Israelites disowned, saying, who made you ruler and judge? This Moses is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer. This man led Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the one who was in the assembly in the wilderness on Mount Sinai, was with our fathers. Moses received living words to pass on to you. Stephen Stephen acknowledges the presence of the Lord at Mount Sinai, the giving of the law to Moses. There's no blasphemy here. Stephen's accusers are full of soup. Stephen says, Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to Moses. On the contrary, they they rejected him and, and turned back to Egypt in their hearts. Which is interesting. Stephen reminds the council that their Hebrew ancestors didn't even want to listen to Moses. In their hearts, they had gone back to that place where we saw in verse 6, where they were enslaved and they were mistreated and their children were murdered, but they wanted to go back there. And Stephen reminds them of their disobedience to Moses and to God in their worshiping of the golden calf in the wilderness. And Stephen says, the Lord directed Moses to make the tabernacle in the wilderness. Our fathers, in turn, received the tabernacle, and they brought it with them with Joshua into the promised land until the time of David. And, and, and Stephen, recognizing the importance of the tabernacle as a house of assembly for the Lord... He has no problem with the house of God. He recognizes its importance. Stephen tells of King David. David asked that he might find a dwelling place for the house of of Jacob, not simply a tabernacle or a tent, but, but a house for the nation of Israel to worship the Lord. Does Stephen sound like someone who is speaking against the holy place of God? No! No! Stephen adds that it's David's son Solomon who built a house for the Lord. And then Stephen says the following, However, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. As the prophet Isaiah says, The Lord says, heaven is my throne, and the earth is the footstool of my feet. What kind of house will you build for me? Says the Lord. And then Stephen lambasts the council. He says, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. You hypocrites! Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Think of all the prophets of Israel that the kings of Israel and Judah had killed. Your fathers killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one. And you now have become betrayers and murderers of him. And that's Jesus. 
you who receive the law as ordained by angels, you did not keep it. Well, the council hears this. <laughs> it's not received very well. They become infuriated. And they begin gnashing their teeth at Stephen. They're, they're gnashing their teeth. But we read in verse 55 that Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And, and Stephen said, Behold, I, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And the council, <laughs> you know, they're like kids going, nah, 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 nah. They're going, they shout with loud voices, they cover their ears. They don't want to hear anymore. And they rush at him with one mind. They drive him out of the city. They begin stoning him. And the witnesses lay aside their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they continue stoning Stephen as he, as he calls on the Lord and he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then Stephen falls on his knees and he cries out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He says this. And then Stephen falls asleep. Throughout the New Testament, we read of Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, Jesus having ascended to heaven and now being seated in the presence of God the Father, seated in, in a rightful place of power, glory, authority. But I want you to see verse 55. Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, with a face like an angel, <laughs> looks intently into heaven. Stephen saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Jesus is not seated. Jesus is standing. What would be significant enough to cause the Son of God to stand? When, when Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, with a face like an angel, took a stand to witness for Jesus, Stephen became Christianity's first martyr the first to die for his faith. When Stephen stood for Jesus, Jesus stood for him. Jesus stood to receive Stephen. What does this mean to the church today? What does this mean for us today? <laughs> rewards of service. Stephen didn't plan on being murdered by a mob because of his faith. None, none who have been martyred in the history of the church 
plan on this being the reward. We will have brothers and sisters who on this very day will die for their faith across the world. None plan on it. But Jesus himself warned his followers then and warns us now of the cost of defending the faith, defending the authority of Jesus' words, Scripture, witnessing for Jesus. There is a cost. There is a cost for showing the difference between Christ and culture. And like inflation, that cost will continue to rise. That cost will continue to rise. Friends, the cost will be great. But friends, the reward is greater. There is a power found in being a witness unto death. Look quickly at verse 58. The mob, the mob is gathering for the stoning. And evidently stoning is hard work. They, they begin to take off their outer garments and they lay them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And this young man witnessed the horrible death of the first martyr. Only God knew then, only God knew then that this very same young man would encounter Jesus on the Damascus Road. This young man would then spend his life defending the faith, defending the authority of Jesus' words, Scripture, being a witness for Jesus and His cross. Until that day when he would die for his faith. This young man, whom we would later come to know as the Apostle Paul, Saul witnessed, and then he, as Paul, became a witness. Rewards of service. Friends, the, the cost of following Jesus will be great. But the reward is greater. Do you want the Son of God to stand for you? In a ceremony of marriage... When the bride enters, all rise. And there will come a day when Jesus will stand as bridegroom for those who have turned from their sin and, and are part of His church, the bride of Christ. They're part of Him. They are found in Him. That is the reward for service. The hope that we have as the children of God 
are the words which Jesus himself told us. At the very end of Matthew, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Stephen knew that. And in likewise fashion, uh, we are called to follow suit. The cost is great, but friends, the reward is greater.